Welcome, you're listening to Season 2 of But Seriously, What is Engineering? A podcast series from the University of Queensland where we explore all corners of engineering. We'll be covering a range of specialisations and exciting engineering careers through our special guests with an aim to continue to open your eyes to just one more part of the wide world of engineering by the time this episode is finished. And spoiler alert, it's not just about bridges and buildings. This episode is hosted by two of the University of Queensland's Women in Engineering student leaders. My name is Evie and I'm in my fourth and final year of a chemical and environmental engineering degree. And my name is Kathleen and I'm completing the Integrated Bachelor of Engineering with a Masters of Engineering, majoring in chemical engineering. We are so excited to introduce you to our guest for today, Riley O'Donnell. Riley graduated from the University of Queensland with the University Medal, completing a Bachelor of Engineering specialising in Chemical Engineering and a Bachelor of Commerce majoring in Finance in 2020. After graduating, Riley co-founded Endler, a company that develops core technology to lower the cost of physical engineering assets with software. Endler received backing from the world's biggest startup accelerator, Y Combinator, followed by a seed fundraising round. Welcome to the podcast, Riley. Could you just very quickly tell us about the company name Enlaw? Enlaw actually is a, a word from native uh, South African language, Sisonga, which means make, build, create. Um, so that's pretty much what we're all about in, in three words. We have a lot to cover in today's episode and we are so intrigued to find out more about your career so far, Riley, especially with you being a past UQ student yourself. Before we talk a bit more about your role as CEO and your business, we'd love to hear about what you studied and why, and if you can just give a little bit of insight into your university experience for any high school students out there listening. Yeah, I studied chemical engineering finance. Um, I did that because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I graduated. I only decided on that option very late in year 12, just before I guess putting my preferences down. Chose chemical because it's supposedly very general systems-based thinking, which you can apply across not just chemical engineering. I guess as you see, I'm not doing chemical engineering per se anymore, um, but you can apply it across a whole heap of different industries. Lots of friends went into consulting or finance with their chemical engineering degrees. In fact, probably more than went into actual chemical engineering. And so I, I went with that route to broaden up options and then I put in finance because I thought I might want to go into investment banking so I did a lot of the case comps um, in my early years at UQ mixed in with getting experience at a lot of different engineering firms I was able to decide that I wanted to be in the world of engineering. Are you glad that you ended up choosing chemical as your major? Yeah I think it's a good one I probably if I was to do it again might have done something I uh, might have done like a, a maths with chemical or a maths with mechanical or a maths with software, um, but that's probably just because I've already done chemical now. Yeah. <laughs> and on reflection, it's like, why would you do that again? I could learn something new. Yeah, I feel like there's one. so many different specialties, it's a bit hard to pick sometimes. Yeah, I think they're all pretty good, and I think often they're just setting you up to learn. You're not necessarily going to use the, the hard skills, you're going to use a lot more of the soft skills. Did you always have a desire to own your own business or to create a startup? Not in my head, but I think a lot of my friends or family would say that they always thought I would start uh, my own company or startup. Uh, not something I would set out to do. It's as a result of the experience that I had in industry, seeing that there was a big gap in the market for 
um, software in these sort of hard tech spaces, uh, delivering automation and auto design to kind of progress from where we're at at the moment, where lots of engineering work is very manual and repetitive um, and, and quite tedious, and, and, and free those engineers to do a lot more of the creative and difficult, like true engineering work. I ended up doing a lot of that design type um, software creation inside of any of the companies I worked at and I figured I could make a much bigger impact doing this um, via, a, via a startup and so that's, that's what I did. When do you think the turning point was for you that you knew you were going to create a startup? Was that during university or your first few years um, in industry? I mean, it's probably after a few times from in industry, like having built the software in companies to help them do various tasks, software tools, and then just having sort of the realization that I kept kind of doing many of these things and it would have been far more effective to do in a company dedicated to building software for those industries. Um, so that, I guess that's probably the turning point. Um, you're taking a huge risk, which has massive payoff over a five, ten year period, which you, you don't get um, in industry. And you also get to make a way bigger impact than you could um, working directly in industry too, I think, from my perspective at least. As the CEO and founder of Enla, could you just tell us a little bit more about the company and what your first product was and its purpose? So our first product was a piece of software which is used in oil and gas to help design um, the completion that goes in the hole in the ground when they drill wells. Um, so much of what's subsurface is, is um, very uncertain until you've actually drilled the hole in the ground and sent equipment down to basically see what type of rock is below the surface. And so that means um, that you can utilize that information once it's collected to come up with um, a better performing well from an installation cost, uh, well performance, um, and cost to operate perspective. Um, and so that's the software de we've developed and uh, we're in the, uh, we've sold it to uh, most of the major operators in Queensland and we're in the process of doing the same um, outside of Australia. So UQ Ventures, um, which students have the opportunity to complete workshops at, at UQ, what was your experience with UQ Ventures in starting up your business? So UQ Ventures was kind of I suppose one of the moments that was a bit pivotal in terms of going down the startup route, that was when I was investigating like is this, is this, uh, what is it about to, to create a startup and who is in that network and who do you need to be connected to and what is the pathway to uh, raising money, uh, what are the typical rounds you would go through to raise money, like what are the possible trajectories for startups, like how can you manage to attract talent to startups when they could go work at massive tech companies instead? Um, and so through UQ Ventures, I got connected into that whole network. I got to see how other startups are doing it or, or have done it. I got to hear about other people's successes and failures and learn about all those kind of aspects and get a way better idea of what's involved in, in like really giving a, a startup a proper crack. Um, and there's just so many different aspects of it and that was sort of a really good first intense introduction to it. It was also um, Yotam at uh, UQ Ventures who actually 
really encouraged us to apply for Y Combinator. Um, and that was a very pivotal moment in uh, our journey. It's really important to emphasise that students who do choose to come to UQ will have that opportunity as well to have access to UQ Ventures and those resources available. Have you ever heard about imposter syndrome and have you ever experienced it in your career at all? And what advice would you give to someone experiencing this in their career? I think most people probably have had some level of imposter syndrome. It's kind of a weird one, like it's sort of a very like in moments in time thing, I think. I think often it can be challenging as a young engineer going into large corporations with people who've got lots of experience and seeing things that are not being done um, necessarily the best way or, or the way it should be being done and feeling comfortable to, um, I suppose, speak up and question why things are being done the way they are being done. Either there's a good explanation or sometimes there's not and then going through the process of helping that organisation change the way it's being done. Um, and sometimes you can feel out of place doing that given that you haven't had all the time um, in industry. But I think the thing to remember is that all organisations, no matter how big they are, are just like a collection of people working on a common task and all those people are really just the same as you. There's nothing particularly special about them. Um, so I think it's, it's nice to remind yourself of that as long as you're also working on, on the same kind of common objective as them, you're all pretty much the same. Imposter syndrome can almost be a little irrational, I think, a lot of the time. What advice would you give someone that is perhaps thinking they might like to have their own startup, just like you did? Uh, you've got to be willing to work pretty damn hard. Uh, <laughs> and there's lots of ups and downs, and you've got to persevere through, through the downs in order to enjoy, uh, enjoy the ups. And you've got to, in the early days, do a lot of different things. Like, you've got to do a lot of the, the building, you've got to do a lot of the selling, you've got to do the team building weird bits of accounting and just managing like all these small tasks between the various different people that you um, engage to help. And the other thing is like make sure you engage the people who are really good at the various different things you need to do. Um, you can't have a startup as a single person. It's really about how well can you build a team and bring the team around a common goal. Do you have a team? Yeah, there's four of us now. Uh, we're in the middle of hiring um, a fifth. So yeah, we're starting to grow. Yeah, are they all engineers? Uh, they're all software um, engineers. Uh, we, we um, I suppose you could say we've almost got a team of five already uh, via consultants who help engage for some of the domain-specific knowledge mm -hmm. um, within oil and gas, for example. What does diversity in engineering mean to you? Diversity is really about background, experience in life, approach to thinking. Um, I think those things can be quite hard to measure, but when you have a diverse group of minds versus a uh, very similar group of minds, it's really clear in a room because either everyone's going very much down the same pathway and there's no real different ideas versus in a, in a good diverse team, you get like so many different ideas bouncing around you get a much broader view on the solution kind of space, I guess, which helps you find the optimal way of going forward. I mean, any company, but also as a startup, that's really valuable because we, we need to move quickly 
and you don't want to make it five months down a bad route that someone could have maybe pointed out was bad right at the beginning. It's not always possible, but at least if you have more ideas floating around and more different perspectives, um, you can rule out a lot more bad options sooner and then uh, roll the die on some more probable uh, or likely outcomes uh, at the beginning. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today, Riley. It's been crazy for Evie and I both to see how this was you two years ago um, and where Evie and I could be in two years' time. And, you know, who knows, 10 years from now, someone listening might even end up being hired by your company. Yeah, maybe even sooner than 10 years. That'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just software engineering either. Like, mm. I think all, I mean, electrical engineering, I think, is very low as well versus versus the other disciplines. Mm. If you're doing engineering, it's not necessarily to become an engineer. There's so many good skills that you learn um, with an engineering degree, and it's a very, uh, yeah, it sets you up extremely well to work in almost any industry. So you don't necessarily have to see yourself as becoming a software engineer or a mechanical engineer or a chemical engineer. You might just be doing it because you're not sure what you want to do yet. Mm. You might just be doing it to learn some skills. You might be doing it because you want to set up a small business, but engineering just happens to be a really good degree to think through some of the many different problems that you'll face doing that. Or you might do it because you want to go into consulting or any other industry except for law and medicine. And, and I think that's what's really cool about uh, the engineering degrees. And I think that's why they should probably attract a lot more people than they already do. That would be great for us as well, because we want to hire people, and the, the bigger the pool to, to look in, um, the easier it is to, to do that. So don't forget to subscribe or follow this podcast to stay up to date with our current episodes as they are released for season two. Thanks for listening.